Good morning. This is from Acts 18, 1 through 6. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord, please be seated. Uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, you came, perhaps your first week was last week. Um, I was out of town. My name is Dave. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And just a heads up, again, if you've never heard me preach or anything like that, um, kind of full disclosure on the front end, I have a speech impediment and it'll kind of come in and out. As, uh, as, as we go. So I just want to give you all a, a heads up on that um, so, so you know. And um, yeah, you know, I know the, the summer in Tucson is a bit of a different time. And so it's been fun to see, you know, every year, this is our third year, we're about to celebrate uh, the end of our, our third year here. Is it the end of our third? I never know how anniversaries work. Our third anniversary is coming up in September, so that's exciting. Um, three years since we started. Are we all tracking? Is that making sense? Never know. Do we celebrate the year we just had or the one coming up? That said, um, it's been fun to, to just to see what God's doing every year throughout the summer. New people come, and it's a good chance when a bunch of the college students, though we love you, those of you who are here with us all summer, um, just to kind of get to grow uh, more in, in our kind of uh, those people that actually pay taxes in Tucson and live here throughout the year. So with that, if, if you're new or you kind of, if um, you, again, have been here the last couple weeks, I'm, I'd love to get to know you, so please hang around, come up and say hi, and um, we're going to continue in our time in Acts, okay? We take books of the Bible, the whole Bible, very seriously, and we love to spend time really digging into one book at a time, and so we've been in Acts since the very beginning of this year, and we're going um, all the way through. So we're in Acts chapter 18 this morning, so go ahead and turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one, okay? We want to make sure you have a Bible to follow along with, to track here, to see this is God's Word that we're digging into, not just the guy up here talking, you know, giving jokes and whatnot. Um, this is God's word that we submit to and respond to. También si quieres la Biblia en español, y si no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos, capítulo 18. All right? I wasn't here last week for, you know, Spanish Sunday, so I got to show that I fit. Um, I can speak a little too. Um, no, I was really bummed though to miss that for those of you who are here, right? Singing, worshiping God in Spanish, being led by our, uh, our friends up at West Mesa. Um, so while we're getting there, before I'm going to pray and we're going to get into our time in here, I want to ask a question to help us really get into it and kind of understand where we're going. 
Because sometimes we can make God's word a little bit more academic and, and, and struggle to see the, the direct implications of something that was written 2,000 years ago, how it really is meant to inform and transform our lives today. And, and so let me ask us this. When is a time that you have felt at your wit's end? Or, or, or you felt like in whatever context, whatever moment you were in, how can I continue on? What is it going to look like to, to get past this moment that I'm in right now? It might be, you know, Monday morning and just looking ahead to, you know, Friday. And, and I think we all have these moments. For, for some, it's that. It's just, man, this week is going to be long, and how am I going to get through it? It can be more trivial stuff like that. It might be for some of the college students here, it might be like March of your senior year. And you're just like, how am I going to finish these last couple months and get done? You know, get to the, the light at the end of the tunnel. How, uh, um, how's that going to happen? For some, it might be something, you know, bigger. It might be, you know, my dad used to have a phrase when we couldn't really pay the bills growing up. And he was a hardworking consumer construction guy and he would say actually one of my brothers wrote a song about it and I was just with my family in San Diego so this kind of popped up to mind he would say the wolves are at my heels just a sense of like man I can't get ahead I can't get my head above water I can't get to the next you know I I don't know how I'm going to get through this time so whatever it might look like where is a time perhaps for some even right now you're in that place. For some of us, we might not be in that place, and, and you can forget, right? We're even told in Scripture sometimes we can be like people who look in a mirror and then walk away, and we instantly forget our reflection. We forget what we look like. I like to do that because I like to think I'm like six foot five, and I look in a mirror, and I'm reminded that's not the case. But, right? but for, for some of us, we, we might not be in that place, but God's Word is not just for like crisis mode. It's to shape us and inform our lives and, and inform our hearts whether we're in crisis mode, we're struggling right now, we're at our wits end now, or like kind of reality check, right? We all know that around the corner, we, we don't know what's coming. We might be in that place. Well, that's where we find Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, this great faithful man of God who's done all these incredible things, and we see God using him to build his church, and we can over, like, make it overly academic. I didn't know how to shorten that. Uh, We can make it just super academic and be like, oh yeah, Paul, he never struggled. He was never really human. You know, he never had these kind of difficult times and and we can read. And as we read Acts, right, we've said, for those of you, this is kind of extra credit time, that this, the Acts is the Acts of God, right? In the beginning there, in most of our Bibles, it'll say the acts of the apostles, the works of the apostles, and it's more appropriately the works of God forming and shaping his church and calling a people who will be his own, responding to the good news of the person and work and life, death, and resurrection and rule of Jesus who ascended and then sent his Holy Spirit to use his people, including the apostles, to establish his church. All right, now repeat that after me. Okay, no, okay, that's a big title, so we can shorten it. But it's the acts of God. But it's not just God building his church and doing all this stuff and, you know, forming these things. And again, in a kind of disembodied, out there, historical history lesson kind of deal. Because Paul, we get a glimpse this morning, is kind of at his wit's end. And so what we'll see here 
And we need to see the good news of Jesus on display 2,000 years ago and today is that while God is accomplishing his mission, he is also calling and encouraging and empowering his people. Okay, so with that, let's pray that God will enable us to, to see and be encouraged and empowered by his good news. Let's pray as we get into Acts 18 together. Lord, thank you for this morning, for this time we have to, to pray, to come together, Lord, to pause, to be reminded that you indeed are God and we are not. And Lord, also I pray that we can be honest with ourselves, with others, that this isn't a place that we need to put on a face or a mask or pretend like we have it all figured out. But Lord, that we would instead see honestly times that we don't know what to do next and we're discouraged, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're frustrated. And yet your good news informs that. Lord, you're not just calling us to figure it out, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and then get uh, uh, into a happier place. But Lord, you, you want to meet us where we are. And so we pray that would happen. We trust that will happen through the power of the Holy Spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so picking up in Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So after this, right, you guys, uh, last week, Acts chapter 17, known as the Mars Hill discourse or interaction, the of, of evangelistic interactions that the Apostle Paul had in Athens. And now we find that he left there and went to Corinth. And, and Corinth is near Athens. It's also in Greece. And we need to understand a little bit about Corinth before we get into this. The Corinth was a rough place. All right, Paul had a bit of culture shock when he was in Athens. So again, if, um, if you, you want to look back at that, just in short, he was exposed to all kinds of different philosophies and ways of life and ways of thinking and all these different multiple gods, the Greek gods, the pantheon of gods and all this. And then he shared about the one true God and, and, and he shared his faith and, and it was an incredible time. But there was a bit of culture shock and that's taxing. Some of us just came back from Guatemala. Some others of us have been around different places, East Asia and elsewhere. And, and it's, it's tiring. And now as Paul comes to Corinth, Corinth is a little bit like Las Vegas, but on steroids. Like, it was a crazy place that you didn't just, you know, just fit neatly in. Okay, we sometimes don't even acknowledge that in our context that it's, it's a li little easier than other places to walk out our faith. I even got that culture shock. I was in Arkansas for six years where it was easier for me to navigate my faith, to be a Christian in junior high and then in high school. And then I moved out here to Tucson and I got like kind of some culture shock. And that's in the same country. You know, it, it was, but it was, you know, Arkansas, maybe same country. But it was still, it was difficult. We'll see. Like in Corinth, it's crazy. There was, there was um, temple prostitution going on that was very common. That was just known that you would be interacting with these people. That there was, that was the place where, the, where, the, where the, the temple of Aphrodite, the supposed goddess of love was. And there would be multiple prostitutes there and all kinds of crazy stuff going on there to try to, you know, find love, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places took on a whole new meaning. And it was this really, really broken place. And it was, in fact, 
it for many years in Corinth, just so we can understand this, in theater and all kinds of things like that, when you would use a shorthand, when someone was on stage and was acting, and if you wanted someone to, to kind of be drunk or be belligerent or be out of control, you would say, become a Corinthian. This is true, right? And then, and then if someone was a prostitute or, 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 you know, engaged in those kind of activities, the shorthand was, oh, that's a Corinthian girl. That was known throughout the, the whole area. So Corinth had a reputation. So the, imagine the shock that Paul has coming here, bringing the good news of Jesus. He's exhausted, he's tired, then he comes into Corinth. It's a difficult place to be. And yet God, like, hear me, God is always working even when we don't see it. In fact, look on in verses 2 and 3 here, and and we'll get a glimpse. And as we continue on throughout this, you'll see it more and more unfolding. In verse 2, and he found a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Okay, kind of time out. We'll hear more about them next week. They're significant people, husband and wife, both used mightily by God. Okay, we'll see that more next week. So these people come. Well, how did they get there? Just, you know, you know, air quotes. They just show up, whatever. It's no, well, look at this incredible stuff. They came there to Corinth because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. So Paul went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade also. Just, you know, coincidence. Like, God is using incredible things. Imagine, a, imagine being displaced from your home in Rome to this place in Corinth now. Because of persecution, that would be really difficult. And yet, still you see, not to minimize, not, well, at least, right? We throw this out there, at least, and we try to minimize the difficulty that we're going through. Still, that's very true, very real. Difficult stuff is going on. And yet, God is using that to bring this couple and Paul right, who's also leaving now, together. When we say all of life is all for Jesus, it includes things like work, right? They, again, quote, just so happen to be tent makers. They do the same thing. Oh, look at this. Oh, it's a coincidence. No, God is caring for his people in seemingly unlikely ways. And we'll see that continue to unfold in this whole section. And that's something that should encourage us. Let me just, let me just pause there for a moment, okay? Look, God's word is so rich, is so profound. As we read through Acts, we'll see, and we're we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians twice during this time. And and let me me encourage us with this, that as you read and you hear about, oh, um, they were sent from Rome, well, there's a whole book of the Bible called Romans, which is this same guy, Paul, writing to the church in Rome. And so stuff that you learn there, right, we can, and I'm kind of talking to the geeky, like, seminary, right, those of us that like to roll our hands up and get into the Word and, you know, parse verbs and do all kinds of stuff and, and maybe take ourselves a little too seriously and, and maybe not pause and see that this is real everyday life that God's Word came crashing into. And so when we read things like Romans, we see that this kind of stuff was going on, that people like Priscilla and Aquila are are, are, are persecuted, are sent to Corinth. And then when we read Corinthians, okay, there are two letters written to the Corinthians. And there's also Ephesians and Galatians. We've already talked about them a few weeks ago. All these things are places. So Acts is like, Acts, the book of Acts, right, what we're in right now, is like a map that we can see. And so 
I encourage you as you read through things and you see theolo- rich theological truths that come in, again, Corinthians, in, um, you know, in, in Colossians, all these other places, to, to, if you struggle to wonder like the reality, the heart and soul, the flesh and blood, if you will, that's really going on here, if you tend to just see theology as in like a, v- a vacuum kind of out there, like read through Acts and go back and forth and see God's incredible oversight entering into real everyday life. And that's what we get to see in Acts. And so that's what's going on here. And, and, and God is encouraging these people. He's encouraging Paul. He's meeting him where he is. And then we continue on. And you see that he's been sharing his faith in the synagogue. And he was so committed to this in verse 5. And we're going to kind of stop at some points. At some points and then we'll, we'll kind of expound. Then we'll just go along because we're in a bigger section. All right, That's how we're going to go about this whole deal. So what's happening? Paul's in the synagogue. He's sharing his faith. In fact, his friends Silas and Timothy show up. We're in verse 5 now. They show up from Macedonia. But Paul was occupied with the word. And that word occupied is loaded. He's so committed with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus, and he's sharing his faith that he's, he's driven, he's compelled. That word in Greek is like, he, is, he can do no other. It's like some of you may have heard of the great church father, Martin Luther, who stood before the, 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 the Pope. He was being persecuted, and he said, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. That's the kind of picture we get here of Paul. He's, he's, he's exhausted. He's got culture shock from, from Athens and now from Corinth. And yet he's just occupied with sharing his faith. But again, it's real. It's a struggle. He's tired. It's not just easy. It's not just like, oh yeah, Paul, he's sharing his faith. He's working through the, you know, some little booklet, you know, and going through the gospel, and it's easy. And sometimes we create these sacred and secular divides, right? Like we don't think of how real this is. Well, look look with me in verse 6. We get a little glimpse of this, okay? It's okay to scratch your head and be like, wow, man, is that, that's in the Bible. Look at verse 6 here. And when they opposed and reviled him, that's Paul, okay? He, he came against some resistance. He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he's quoting from Ezekiel, but he'll talk. He's also like throwing a temper tantrum here. You know, like, again, I've been in this place. He's struggling. He's not getting the response that he is looking for. And he's essentially like, you know, your blood on your own heads. I'm out of here. Now, just quick pause. He's not, this isn't some big theology thing. He's not saying out with the Jews, in with the Gentiles. There's, we'll see he actually continues to share his faith with Jewish people. He's not saying, you know, that the time of Jewish people's gone completely and now I'm just going to focus on Gentiles. But he's saying in this moment, he is, he's really throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum and he's like, you know, forget you, I'm going over here to share with these Gentiles because them and their crazy temple prostitution is easier than you religious people right now. Amen? I lived in Arkansas. I know that can be true. You know, the Bible Belt. See, religion is sometimes we're told by one guy talks about religion and licentiousness are both equal thieves of the gospel. Okay? So Paul's here trying to stay true and share the gospel, and these religious uptight people are over here. Yes, I walked over to my right just a little bit. Okay? We can, and he's, he's struggling there. And then he's like, I'm going to go over here to the left because they're way off too, but they're crazy and it's a little safer right now. And then he goes back and forth. 
And I was told one person says that uh, we need to nail the pendulum to the wall, right? Neither extreme. All right, I digress. Um, so look how God continues to work, though. Look where he goes. Okay, he throws a temper tantrum and he leaves. And then in verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Piteous Justice, a worshiper of God. His house, again, quote, just so happened to be, was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Can you see that go hand in hand? You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're baptized. Okay, there's not this whole, let me wait and take forever and do this whole thing. Believe and be baptized, and you see that happen here. An unlikely, an unlikely person to come to faith in Jesus, the ruler of a synagogue, is sitting there unknowingly going along, doing his duties, and all the while, God is using all these different pieces to carry out his incredible will. God's sovereignty needs to be such an encouraging, empowering reality in our lives. Again, not just a high theology that we hold up on the shelf, not something that we use to beat others down, anything like that, but a helpful reality to inform our everyday lives. This unlikely candidate Crispus now comes to faith, and we'll see how God continues to use this in all these different ways. So they go, but still Paul's discouraged, and we know that because God meets him in verse 9 and speaks to him and encourages him. He's struggling. God, what am I doing here? Again, Paul was known by a lot of people as this like grumpy person. Some people say he was short, maybe bald, had bad eyesight. I can relate with some of these things. And uh, he was a grumpy person in a lot of cases. And that's reality. And we can learn from that. And look what God does in, verses, uh, in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Okay, he appeared to him. He met him where he's at. Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Again, hear me. Please look at me. God meets us where we're at. Okay, the, the Christian life, giving your life to Jesus, following him, walking with him, could not be further away than sometimes what we do in church, what we, again, religious people will do, and we create uh, you know, a, a sacred place where we pretend everything's easy and good, and we put on a face, and we pretend we're all happy, and then we have our secular places, right, where we go, where we go crazy, and we, and we cuss, and we, we interact with you know, telemarketers and you know, people across the window and our own family. Again, I was just in San Diego, and I could, this isn't confession time right now, but it's like reality here, right? So getting, getting into it, getting down and dirty, being real with each other, hashing out old stuff together. And, it's, and sometimes we do such a disservice by thinking that, that God's there and then I'll just take care of this over here and just kind of as long as they're in their neat little compartments, everything's good. That's blown up by the scriptures. Paul is at his wit's end and God meets him and says, here's his, good, here's his encouragement to him. It's essentially this, I'm with you, and I'm working. 
and I'm going to continue to work. And I think what he's calling Paul to is faithfulness. He doesn't say, here's how it's all going to work out. Just, you know, do these things, these five easy steps. Your, 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 your Christian walk is going to be super easy. Just do this and everything will be easy now. This prosperity gospel or whatever it might be, that's nowhere in here. His, his message, his affirmation is his presence and his sovereignty. Amen? He says, I'm, I'm with you. Like, like we see in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, all power has been given to me, and, and behold, I'm with you. He says, yeah, go carry out my work. And then here we see, he says, he says I have many more people I'm calling. Okay, many more people in this city who are my people. He's saying, I'm going to use you to carry my work out. Okay, so trust that I'm working, God says. And know that I'm with you. And then thankfully in this very next section, again in an unlikely way, we see God's answer to his own promises. In verses 12 through 17, I'm not going to read all the way through it, but essentially what happens is again, Paul's there sharing his faith again in the synagogue. Okay, so his, you know, little short-term temper tantrum is over. He goes back, right? He's in a, a synagogue. He's frustrated there and, and he meets opposition. And then he's brought before a ruler and he's about to give a defense. And then he gets interrupted by this guy. And then the Jewish people in this case get kind of quieted and shut down and they're angry. And Paul's just kind of standing there. And then the ruler of the synagogue, the new ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes, man, that's a tough one. Um, Sosthenes, um, that's, that's speaking in tongues right now on display for you. God using a guy with a stutter to say these hard names. You're seeing it on display. Okay, that's how it works here. Um, so Sosthenes, you can come up and talk to me if you have questions about that, by the way, later. I got a little, hey, I'm kind of shaking off some of the rust. I've been off for a couple weeks, right? Thank you for your grace with these things. So, right, Crispus comes to faith. He's ruling in the synagogue, and then he gets he leaves. So there's a new guy, Sosthenes, and he comes. And what happens? He gets beat up in verse 17. He's brought before the tribunal, but Gallio, the, the ruler there, paid no attention to any of this. Just, let me just, let's be encouraged by a minute by God's continued sovereignty and his work. Okay, you don't have to turn with me. I have it up here on the screen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1, as Paul writes a letter, okay? So again, we get a little glimpse here. He's been in Corinth, right, which we're seeing in Acts here. Then he leaves. He writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And who does he say? Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Oh, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. This guy who just got unjustly beat up, who was the recipient of injustice, is now with Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, encouraging them. See, these are things that we miss when we just move along and we read on. And yet, again, the, I think what we need to see here is that God is continually calling and encouraging and empowering his people to carry out his mission, often in very, very unlikely ways. Again, this guy gets beat up. I don't know about you, but I don't usually respond very well in that context. I'm the youngest of four boys, so I've been there a few times. And yet, you see that God uses that here to call this guy Sosthenes to faith and then to continue to carry out his mission. 
And again, you see him answering his promise to Paul the whole time there. He says, don't be afraid. Go on doing what you're doing. Don't be silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you. Yeah, they might attack Sosthenes, okay, but that's on him, and I'll work out. I'll encourage him, and you see that. He's brought to faith. No one will attack you this time, all right, or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, which is way longer than he normally did. Man, are you guys just seeing here the, the reality that it's not as clean and neat and pretty? Some of us are looking for that roadmap, right? We're praying. Again, the wolves are at my heels right now. I'm struggling. I don't know where to move. I don't know what my next job should be. I just lost my job, and I don't know how I'm going to find a new one. I can't pay my bills. I just broke up with who I was guaranteed I was so sure would be my, you know, forever, my spouse, and yet now what? Like my whole plan is, is falling apart and we find ourselves in these places. Even on the more seemingly simple, it's Monday and I don't know how I'm going to get to Friday. Right? Everywhere in between. When we say all of life is all for Jesus, it's not just because that's a neat, cute phrase. It looks good on shirts. But, but, but it's because it's, it's reality that you see here God continuing to use all kinds of different things to carry out his will. And he doesn't just say, suck it up and I'll meet you on the other side. He says, I'm with you, and I'm going to continue to carry out my work, my mission. I'm going to continue to use you to bring other people to faith and to form the church, to build his people, to keep his movement growing, to keep his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven 2,000 years ago and today, 2017, in Tucson, Arizona. Amen? And the message, again, that we see is God saying, I'm with you, and I'm continuing my work. And you get to be a part of it. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to encourage you. And I'm going to empower you. And that's what, what continues to happen here. In, in the next section there in verses 18 through 23, they, they leave there after a year and a half. Paul goes on to Ephesus, and then he, he continues there to consider what God is doing, where God's going to take him. It's not, again, I, he's, he keeps trying to get to Rome and to Spain and all these different places, and we'll see, okay? Like, spoiler alert, there's shipwrecks, there's all kinds of craziness going on. And God continues to lead and continues to meet his people where they are. And for me, a passage that has always meant a ton that I think is all the more in, in, that comes into light through this section we're in today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where you see Paul at his wit's end. Okay, he's in Corinth here, right? We've read it, and we're probably tempted to look through this more like a history lesson. Okay, and verse 1, and, this, and then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, verse 1, move on to verse 2, go on and, and fail to see how it connects. Well, look at where Paul's at. Like, how does he keep on keeping on, right? Joe Dirt, anyone? You ever seen that? Okay, that was way back. Some of you guys, yeah, I have gray hair in my beard, you know. Um, right? We hear these little catchy phrases, keep, oh, just, you know, life's a garden, dig it. I could go all day. We got these. Like, <laughs> keep, just, just dig down, pull yourself, you know, just do it, get her done, whatever these silly phrases are that are so unhelpful, if not in light of the reality of a sovereign, loving God who's carrying out his work while caring for his people. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I, when I came to you, brothers, was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
And I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He, he's not, okay, he wants us to take him off the pedestal. We have such a celebrity culture here. And I've joked about, you know, you guys trying to put me up on a pedestal to make me taller or whatever. Or, you know, or we have so much celebrity culture in our world today and we put people up there and we say, oh, that's the pastor. That's who we pay to be holy. Or, you know, they have it all figured out and we're all over here. We do these, 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 these silly things and yet you see even the Apostle Paul is at his wit's end and he's saying, look, I'm struggling. I'm afraid. I'm tired. This Christian life is not just an easy, you know, catchphrase that fits on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. And I'm exhausted. In our day, he might have said, there's other times where he does have to go back to work. He said, I'm struggling to make ends meet. I can't pay my bills. I'm, I just lost a job. I just lost a friend. I just lost a family member. And yet, all he comes back to, all he can come back to, is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead, the clearest, the only trustworthy demonstration of God's love and his commitment to you and to me and to his mission. We're told in Romans that God demonstrates his love and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, I ask, well, where are you? What does it look like when you're at your wit's end, when you seem to can't keep your head above water? Where do you go? You go to Jesus. And thankfully, we have a community of people here, right? We, we, we talk about this all the time. This isn't just to show up on Sunday and then come back next Sunday and just, you know, take two of these verses and, and call me in the, in the morning. You know, no, like, the reality of what we're talking about, right, is we pull back the, the kind of the false precepts, and we make it sound so simple and so easy. It's messy, and it's broken, and it's difficult. And God's promise is not just two little phrases, you know, I'm with you, I'm in control. Now, that's it. No, we, we learn that. We flesh it out in real everyday life, in relationship. Okay, I talked about my family. I'll just, like, I for me, what this looked like this last week was hashing it out in the parking lot of Denny's until three in the morning with two of my br brothers and my mom. Just getting, getting after it together. I'll just leave it at that, right? I'm surprised no one called the police. But it was just, it was real. And it was gospel-centered. It was all about how the life, death, and resurrection and rule and authority of Jesus informs our family and our real lives. So God's promise to us isn't it's easy. It's I'm with you and I'm working. Amen? So as we close, let me just ask you to consider, even as, as I now transition and we pray and then we get into our time of worship and singing, we, we come and we take communion, we have people in the back to pray. I want to encourage us all to go there to go there in our own hearts, to be honest, to go before the Lord, to ask the question, Lord, what would it look like? What does it look like to really, honestly come before you? To have you be enough. 
to, 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 to reach out to the community that you've provided, that you've surrounded me with, to, 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 to ask for help, to say I'm tired and I'm weary and, and I need to be reminded that, that God's with me and that he's working. What would it look like for us to be that kind of community together? What would it look like for a, a world around us in, in downtown Tucson that's so tempted to, to, that's looking for answers in all these different places, that has this view of, oh, the church is a bunch of hypocritical, is this, is that, you know, the church just puts on blinders and puts on a smiley face and all that. What would it look like for the gospel of Jesus to be so real that that, that can't be someone's experience, that they come and they say, man, these people can be messed up and are messed up, and, and, and yet there's a hope, there's a, a steadfastness, there's a consistency that, that comes from this Jesus. Maybe I should learn more about him. If you're here and that's you this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I want to encourage you to continue to be here, that this is a place that you can process and grow and ask questions. And yet, let me just tell you straight up on the front end, you're al- it's always going to come back to Jesus' promise that he's with us and he's working. And it's most clearly demonstrated in the cross and the empty tomb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you for your promises. Lord, thank you that uh, you're committed to truth even when we're not that you're committed to reality even when we're not, Lord, that um, even when we're trying to play church and we're trying to put on a face or we're trying to act like life's not difficult or whatever it is and we come up with different coping mechanisms to get through and you're saying, listen, leave all that at the door. Just come to me. Lord, I pray that this morning that would be what we would do individually and as a whole community. We would come before you, King Jesus, who promises us that you're with us and that you're working. It's in your name we pray. Amen.